Did you hear that prayer? That was a great prayer, wasn't it? it was. Whoever here it, it isn't here this week, we hope they're here next week. Amen. That's good. Mark, you're wimpy. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. Is Cor where's Corey? Is he wimpy? He is? Amen. Yeah. Is that right? Well, we're not even going to go there. I'll tell you what. That's, hey, yes, that's uh, Stephen Didforth. He's your husband. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, amen. It's good to be here this morning. Uh, would you please uh, stand up for the reading of Scripture and, and prayer? I got, uh, we got Betty double duty this morning, and Jace is going to read Scripture, and Betty's going to lead us in prayer. He in, Luke chapter 19, he into, verse 1, he entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus, who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today I must stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to, began to complain. He's gone to the lodge of the sinful men. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Lord, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he, is to, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Amen. Please bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the body of believers, and Lord, just thank you for this family, and we just, uh, we love each and every one of you, and Lord, just um, help the people who are sick, and uh, when uh, we need help, just uh, let them reach out to their family to ask for help, and we would love to show our love to them that you've given us. Lord, just thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. If This is our second lesson on discipleship. Um, we'll start with that in a minute. But if you, didn't, if you did not get a copy of the sermon handout uh, for lesson two, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Anybody? Now, we emailed them and, okay, outstanding. We have them in the four-year. Lesson three, which will be next week, we'll actually we'll email that Monday. And then the uh, handout is also in the four-year. So don't need you guys. We had a wedding here yesterday, and I think somebody, bear with me. They stole the pulpit. I'll just go without it. I'll be all right. What? It's Doug. Doug, yeah. It's that Sinclair guy. It's that guitar picker. It is good to be here this morning. I do want to mention uh, quickly, uh, Jan, Jan Thompson, uh, she had a, well, she fall, fell this week. I don't, probably got, uh, hopefully you got notification of that, but she broke two ribs. Uh, it's painful. Well, if you've ever had broken ribs, it's painful. And, uh, but she's a trooper. She's here, and she's fighting through it. And uh, so obviously keep her in your prayers. Uh, in 
you'll notice the announcements that are in the bulletins. Um, the Dunlaps are still in Iowa. Their son is fighting uh, terminal cancer. And so obviously keep them in your prayers. Danny, Ailey Wine, same thing. We have so many different folks that, uh, that need prayers and they're fighting, struggling some kind of battle. And uh, obviously we just need to continually be in prayer for each other. We got, I like this. Uh, Allison, put this in your uh, bulletin also. It was this month's anniversaries and birthdays. And we got some pretty esteemed people in here and this, uh, you know, these uh, birthdays in February and the anniversary. So I want to do just I want to do this once a month. And since we have a guy here that's not really wimpy because he's got a good voice. And uh, Mark, would you lead us in a happy birthday uh, for all our February? Yeah, you want to lead us? All right. Birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, everybody, church. Happy birthday to you. Amen. It is good to be here. I will tell you, uh, we're going to be starting a children's church two weeks from now. I have a meeting. We've had a meeting. So many of you couldn't be there. Uh, but those that want to be a part of our children's church team, which we've got a good bunch of you folks that have committed to that, we're going to have a short meeting after uh, AM service next Sunday. The reason I tell you that is there may be some of you that would like to help. Uh, after our children's moments on Sunday, we're going to release age three to third grade over in the ministry building. And uh, like I said, we've got a really good program for them. Uh, and if you want to volunteer and be a part of that and help, uh, it would be on a rotation right now. Um, let's see, I think I have a, a dozen, 11 or 12 couples signed up. And they'll be on a six-week rotation, two couples each week. And that'll allow the parents to be able to sit in here and, uh, and have their, you know, they'll be able to participate in worship. Uh, but they'll also serve once every, you know, five to six weeks. And so if you're interested and you want to be a part of that ministry, uh, let me know. But we're going to have a meeting next week. We'll also send that out in the email this week. So uh, it is good to be here this morning. I, I want to... Uh, very quickly review um, last week. We started this series on discipleship, and I loved uh, Betty's lesson this morning. And I will tell you, you'll know these disciples, these followers of God, for the love they have for one another. And every time I hear that verse, I'm always, and it's a really good segue even for this morning's lesson, um, and actually one of our 14 lessons on discipleship is going to deal with that passage uh, but when you think about love, there's two different ways to think about love, isn't there? There's the way the world defines love, and there's obviously the way the Bible defines love. 1 Corinthians 13. We know the scripture says God is love. God is love. And we know that great passage in that moment that Jesus teaches, he who has forgiven much loves much. We know that fear is the beginning of the knowledge of God, but perfect love drives out fear. So, so we're going to be moving towards that uh, section that we'll be teaching on discipleship and love. This morning I ask that you go to uh, Matthew chapter 4. We're going to, our text this morning is going to be from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4. Chapter 4. And while you're turning there, a very quick review. Last week, our, our lesson, our first lesson on discipleship really dealt with three points. Uh, what discipleship requires, what it demands. 
And the very first thing in the teaching out of the gospel was Jesus says, we have to die to ourselves. If you cannot be a follower of God, you cannot fulfill that calling, that ministry, that life. Uh, you can't unless we die to ourselves. And Jesus taught that great lesson, unless a, a, a seed falls to the ground and dies, it, it cannot. And it really has no value. And so we have to die to self. Uh, and we have to serve. As we die to ourselves, what are we doing? Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. So a disciple, a follower of God, dies to self and serves. And the scripture says that as we serve God, he honors us. And then the reason for that is for us to honor God, glorify him, the whole duty of man, our purpose. And the reason that you and I are here, we're here to glorify God. And we're here for no other reason than that. And we are not. So the discipleship uh, of God dies to self, serves others. God honors him for that. And then the reason is to glorify God. I, and before we go to Matthew, you stay there, but I'm going to be in the gospel of Luke in verse 12. Jesus told a parable in verse 16, uh, chapter 12, beginning of verse 16. You can go there if you want, but we're, our lesson, just as a very quick way of review, uh, Jesus told a parable, verse 16, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, he said, uh, he said, the land of a certain rich man was very productive. The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began uh, reasoning to himself. Now you should just, if you are here, you could just highlight the word I, myself here. So he began to reason uh, to himself saying, what shall I do? since I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain uh, and my goods, himself, I, my. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, drink, and be merry. Rich man. Scripture says a rich man. He said he had productive land. He'd obviously, I bet he was the kind of guy that made a good, good real estate investment, uh, was organized, responsible, uh, and, and probably a pretty hardworking, diligent person. And, and he could look out there and say, well, this is what I need to do now. I've come this far, doing pretty good, but I need, I'm going to do some more for me. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul, your soul is required of you. And now who will, who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I, I want to start this morning as we go to Matthew 4, just with that thought, re reflecting on that first lesson. Because the trouble that you and I have and I do believe this. This is the struggle that we all encounter in our lives. Um, and, and certainly as Christians, it is hard to die to ourself. It just is. It is. But this is a picture of someone who is not dying to self, but is living for self. This is a picture who's not serving others, but he's serving himself. This is a picture of someone glorifying himself, not glorying the reason to glorify himself, honor himself. 
And I, I would say to you as we move forward in this series, I want that to be really the, I don't know, the litmus point, the divining point, the foundation. When we go through these passages and the scripture and Jesus himself teaches us what it means to follow him. I think we should all always daily as we examine ourselves, we need to be looking at ourselves. And we need to look at our motivation, our heart, our mind, our spirit, our activity and say, okay, Am I dying to self or am I serving self? Am I? Paul wrote to Colossians, whatever we do in word and deed, we ought to do in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what he said. But am I doing that? Because my struggle is I want to live for self. I don't want to die for self. Am I serving others? Or am I serving myself? Is my reasoning to glorify God or is it to glorify myself? That is really that's the struggle. And the scripture vary. I could have gone to many places in scripture. You think you go to Matthew 26 and you look at that great encounter between Peter and, and Jesus and you look at that conversation. He says, yep, every one of you is going to bail out on me. You're all going to leave me. Peter said, not me. I won't. Everybody else will, but I won't. He said, oh yeah, you will. Yeah. Yeah, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And when Peter made that, and you and I do this, preachers do it. We get so comfortable in who we think we are in Christ that we forget. And you see that example right there with Peter. What did he do? Oh, no. I, and what was he doing? He was, he, was, <laughs> he was promoting himself. He was living for self. The Lord said, every one of you is going to deny me. Not me. Not me. Not by my strength. He was living for self. He was serving himself. And he was honoring himself. So you can see this throughout scripture. And even those that are closest to Jesus. And so we're moving forward here. I want that to be that point in your life and my life. Where we examine ourselves in light of really what it means. What the young man said here to be a follower of God. And so this second passage or this second lesson, we're going to be in the gospel of Mark, uh, Matthew chapter four, Matthew chapter four. Let's see, I'm going to begin reading in verse 12, Matthew chapter four. Now, when he had heard, when Jesus had heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. You can read about this event in uh, all of the Gospels. But the cousin of John, Jesus, Jesus' cousin John, John the Baptist, uh, had been taken into custody. And I hope that you're familiar with that story. Uh, and in verse 13, And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, uh, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. And this is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, verse 2. Uh, the land of Zebulun and the land of uh, Naphtali, that was the uh, tenth and sixth sons of, of uh, Jacob. This was their inheritance. And so the land would become uh, named after the descendants of Jacob, uh, one of his 12 sons. And so this was the land. You can read about this. Uh, in the book of Genesis. So the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, uh, the people who were sitting in the darkness saw a great light. The great light is a reference to Jesus. 
600 years before he was born, 600 years before this event took place, uh, the prophet Isaiah said there was going to be a great light coming into this land that was now dark, these descendants of Jacob. And uh, this was the fulfillment of it. And to those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a, a light Dawn. Gee, read the gospel. Jesus, the light that came into the world that overcame the darkness. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. At this time, scripture fulfilled. John, his cousin, one he loved very much, is in jail. In verse 18, and walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea, and, and, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left the nets and followed him. I'm going to go through verse 22. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat, which Zebedee, their father, mending uh, their nets, uh, and, uh, and he called them, and they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. They became disciples following him. So here we are. We live in America. Most of us in the surrounding area right here in Bryan College Station, Curtin. It's 2020, and God has provided a great place physically, this property here, this real estate. Uh, he's provided through, through the lives of saints that have gone on before us this piece of property so that people could come, gather together, and have a place of fellowship and worship. We're pretty far removed from um, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, aren't we? It's been 2,000 years ago. It's been a minute since Matthew wrote about this event. 600 years before the event happened, Isaiah wrote about it. But here it is. It's, a, it's in this place in the Bible and history and the application uh, for you and I is of the utmost significance. If I have seen and witnessed or learned anything at all um, the thing that I'm more aware of, getting, becoming more aware of. We, these guys aren't. They're not. They're just not. I, it's been a while since I was their age, but I haven't. I know when I was their age and I look back, I didn't really think a whole lot about my mortality. I just didn't. You know, you're, you're young. And life has <laughs> got a lot of challenges when you're young. But I didn't think a lot about mortality. In fact, most of what I did was very foolish. And, uh, <laughs> but if you get a little older and you pursue whatever life you're going to pursue in career and, and then you, you find somebody you love maybe and, and you get married and you start having kids and you have a career. And so we just live our lives. And you get a little older then, you begin to realize This deal is going to be over pretty quick. And I don't want to be depressing. That's not the point. But this deal is going to be over pretty. You start talking to people in their 50s and 60s, and they'll tell you. They'll just flat tell you. They'll just say, man, <laughs> you start going to a lot more funerals than you do other stuff. 
And you just, you'll wake, I had a moment like this yesterday. We were at the, uh, uh, the Livestock Show and Rodeo in San Antonio yesterday. I had tickets to go to the uh, rodeo last night, and Tammy and I were there, and I grew up in San Antonio. And I can remember w when we were leaving last night, uh, walking past, if you've, any of you have ever been to San Antonio, I know Paul can read the, the entrance to Joe and Harry Freeman Coliseum. You know, I remember the first time my grandfather took me in there. I had to be, I don't know, I, was in middle, I wasn't in middle school, I was in elementary school. And I remember my grandfather, this wonderful man, he had this great shirt on and his Stetson and khakis and boots, and he was taking me to the rodeo. And now, I, I don't know, I had probably third and fourth grade, and I remember then seeing this Joe and Harry Freeman Coliseum, and it seemed so big to me. It just seemed huge, and, you know, and everything was just big and huge. And, and I remember going in and watching, and it was at a moment in my life I said, man, I, I want to do what those guys do. And, and, uh, and I could very clearly remember my grandfather holding my hand and walking us as we were leaving. It's an emotional moment for me. But you know what? I have to tell you something. Tammy and I sat out there on a the bench uh, before we went to the rodeo, um, and it just seemed like that was yesterday. I mean yesterday. I mean not even yesterday, a minute ago. And the Bible says that our life is a vapor. Uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, these very, few, these very few years that we live. They said, I don't want to be depressing. I don't want you to say, oh my, well, this is a, well, you know. But the truth is, if you live to be 90, we just did Ada Gustavus' funeral, 93 years old. The, the Saturday following that, a guy by the name of Doc Bryan, 90 years old. Now, you know, I knew Ada for three years. I'd known Doc for 28 years. It just seems like, wow. And so I want to, you start putting all this into perspective, who you are, what your story is, where you've been, where you are now where you are in whatever stage you are in your life. You're in middle school, high school, elementary school, married one year, two year, having your first child, married 20, 30 years. I don't know. But when you step back and you begin to look and you start to examine your life seriously, seriously, if you do believe that your life here matters and if you do believe that, that what you do in your life as a young person, as someone who's married, as someone, a grandparent, somebody who's employed or runs a business, but mostly Christian, Christian. And you start to factor and you start to think about your life because we can get so busy, folks. We can just become so busy in our everyday living that yes, we're Christian, we're a Christian, we're Christian. But it, it almost becomes, and it, and, it, and it becomes maybe a little more important at moments in our life. Maybe it's a little bit, and we wouldn't deny it. And it's not that we're living in an antagonism towards our Christianity, but we've not really given it to place the understanding that God intends for you and I to have it and the significant place that it should be. This is that point. This is one of those lessons. This is a place in history where something of a huge magnitude was taking place. Something significant beyond. And I would just say to you, I don't know where you're at. I mean, I, if you and I spent some time together and we had just the normal course of conversations and, and you were honest with me and I was honest with you, we, we would probably, I'd get some pretty good insight to what's going on in your life and vice versa. And I don't mean to diminish that. 
But I will tell you, you just take anything that's going on in your life and you think of just how significant it is, and you put it in the, in the classroom of this moment in the life of Jesus, and you begin to learn from it, I will tell you, and I believe with all my heart, it will do exactly what it was intended to do. It will become what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4. It will become a double-edged sword that cuts both ways, that really goes down to the marrow and the very bone of who we are. And it'll begin just as Scripture's supposed to do, 2 Timothy 3 and 16. It'll train us. It'll reproof us. It'll rebuke us. It'll equip us as the men and women of righteousness. That's how significant this is. Just don't read on past or let me read it to you and miss what's really happening here. Because there is a truth. If you live to be 93 or the Lord requires, just like we read, in Luke chapter 12, if we have all these wonderful plans that we've determined and we're going to do this and I'm going to do this and this is what I'm going to do and it's going to be good with my soul. For, I got my IRA. I've got my house paid for. I've got, listen, you know, I'm getting my Social Security. I've paid and I've lived diligently and responsibly. I've got something going on a cruise this summer. I've got plans to go to, you know, skiing. I mean, whatever it might be, I'm going to travel the United States. I'm going to get there. Oh, whatever. You fool, because this is very much moment this very night the Lord may require your life from you all of this this passage needs to be put in this setting this moment in history 2,000 years ago 600 years after Isaiah wrote about it now first things first to do the history right and understand the significance of it profit properly the passage starts. There's no, you and I have random moments in our life. Something that we probably would just forget about. We might have a random moment today right after church. Where are you going to go eat? I don't know. Let's go eat over here. Let's go eat over here. Random moment. Probably don't remember all the places you've eaten lunch. Let me tell you something about the Bible. There's no random moment. There's no random period. There's no uh, random punctuation marks. There's no random question mark. There's no random exclamation point. There's no random statement. Not one. Not one. Read Scripture through those lens. And in this great moment of discipleship uh, moment, it starts with a statement. A demanding statement, a powerful statement, a hateful statement, a hurtful statement. Hmm. Now, when he heard, when the Son of God, when Jesus Christ, you know, Jesus means God saves, Christ means the anointed King of Israel. When God who saves through the anointed king of Israel, and Israel is the people who strive with God, when God, that's who it, when he heard, when he heard John, John means God's gift. 
when he heard that John's gift had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. You and I can read that and miss the significance of it. This is about a follower, becoming a follower of Christ, dying to self, serving Him, glorifying Him. There's a great passage in the Gospel of John when Jesus goes to Lazarus' tomb, and it's the shortest verse in all Scripture. It says he wept. Isaiah said that he was a man of many sorrows. You have a picture of him in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. He, he, he prayed. He asked his disciples, his followers, to stay awake, pray with him. They couldn't. His sweat became like blood. We have a, a, a stained glass moment there. His sweat became like blood. And he said, Father, take this cup from me, but... Not my will, but your will be done. The Son of God, God's salvation, the anointed King of Israel, the people who strive with God, he heard that his cousin, somebody that he dearly loved, was taken into custody, and he knew every detail of that. He knew what was about to happen to John. One that he would say was the greatest of all men, and somebody he dearly loved. He knew that he would be beheaded by the hands of ungodly men. What the world would consider powerful men. Have you ever lost somebody? Or you ever been so worried for somebody? You ever see maybe an evil being done towards somebody you love and somebody who's conspired against them? And you're so grieved. That you just have to withdraw. You have to withdraw. You just withdraw. The word is a significant word. It means he withdrew. It literally means he retreated. He retreated. He knew what the next three years were going to hold for him. He knew. And the Son of God withdrew. He retreated. He went to a place. He went to, to where his roots were in Galilee. He went to a place where he knew that, that a prophet, an old prophet 600 years before would say that there's a dark land, that the descendants of Israel, two of the sons, the name, this land had been named after. And it was a dark place. But he knew. When he entered, retreating because of all the evil in the world, that a great light would come into the land. Tell me anything that's going on in the world today that is more significant than that. Do you think the current, we're in election year, you think that's more significant than this moment? You think it is more, a more powerfully historical moment? You worried about, listen, I'm a, I, 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 I'm a political guy, most of it's satire, I'm paying attention. I'm thankful personally for the guy that we have serving. You may not be, but I'll tell you something. If he's taken from us, I've read enough. I've read 
First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. I've read the Book of Romans. I've read First Peter. I've read that all authority in heaven and earth is given by God. I've read that God is the one who establishes kings and kingdoms. I've seen and read the history and lived enough to know that sometimes God lets a wicked and unrighteous person lead a country. Many times He will. So I'd like to see. My personal opinion, you may not like me for this, and we shouldn't certainly do that. I'd like to see him get another four years. I like my dad says, if nothing else, it's pretty entertaining, isn't it? <laughs> but I had to tell you, <laughs> my trust and my hope and my faith is in the one who establishes it. And if he decides... Some lunatic delusional nut needs to leave this country, then so be it. That's all I got to say about that. Me and old Forrest. But anyway, something happens. His cousin has been taken into captivity. Scripture is fulfilled. He's referenced as this light. And then this verse, don't miss the significance of this church. Woo! Verse 17. From that time, that time, Jesus began to preach. And he began to preach. And if he, Jesus was anything at all, he was a preacher, rabbi, teacher. And he began to preach that you know what? All you've got to do is have faith and you name it and you claim it and you'll receive it and listen Man, all you've got to do, God intends to give you promotion and God wants you to have uh, excess in life and God wants to bless you and he is your personal, you know, he is your personal servant to bless you just because uh, you and I can be just a little bit faithful and have a, something in our own hearts and mind that we believe there's something to gain from a relationship with God that really is so much better, maybe the better than what the world has to believe. And he began to preach that and he began to preach sermons that, you know what, if, if you'll just ask me into your heart, I'll just enter your heart and I'll save you. And, and listen, Jesus, M-I-C-K-Y-M-O-U-S-C, G-E-S-A-U-S-C-H-R-I-S-T. And, and he's my friend. And, you know, no, that's not what he preached. He never preached a sermon like that. Nor did anyone who ever served him preach a sermon like that. You won't find one. It doesn't exist. In the book of Acts, there are seven sermons, 35 years of sermons. You won't find any of some of that nonsense that's being preached in the name of Jesus today. But you will see the fulfillment of Scripture and that there'll be a time when people will not endure. They won't endure sound doctrine. But they'll gather for themselves teachers that'll tickle their ears. Seven you got seven sermons in the book of Acts. 35 years, you want to talk about biblical preaching. You got the sermons of Jesus. You got the sermons of John the Baptist. You could turn every letter to every one of the first century churches into a sermon. You can look at every sermon that was ever preached in the Old Testament. And you say, well, Old Testament. Well, I'm going to tell you something. When Paul wrote Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16, and he said, all scriptures God inspired for teaching and preaching and uh, for the rebuke and the reproof and the equipping of the man of God, the person of God in righteousness. He didn't, listen, 
The only book that he had was Genesis through Malachi. The first 35 years in the Acts of the Apostle, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, they had no Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They had no letters to the first century church. You know what the Old Testament is about? It's about one thing and only one thing. It's not about anything other than Jesus Christ. I would say to you that I could spend the next 10 years preaching from Genesis through Malachi, never opening the New Testament, and reveal the truth about Jesus Christ, God's plan of redemption and salvation, 100% from the Old Testament. Sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. And Jesus' sermon was, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you go to the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says twice to the children of God, he says, repent or you'll perish. You go to the second chapter of the book of Acts. I was a church Christ preacher for 30 years. I know this verse so well. You go to that second chapter of the book of Acts. Uh, listen, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. And at the end of that first sermon, he says, men of Israel, you need to be sure of one thing. There's one thing you need to be sure of. This Jesus of Nazareth, you killed him. You killed him. Many, 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 many thousands of people were there to celebrate the Passover. And the scripture says, there were those who were cut to the heart. And they said, their hearts were pierced. You know, the scripture says that in the Old Testament. You know what God desires? A broken heart and a contrite spirit. He doesn't require some mealy mouth, Mickey Mouse, wimpy little, and there's a good word, wimpy, approach to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the reason for it. And when those people were confronted, they had seen the very witness of the Old Testament. Yes, that is him. That was him. He was the one born in Bethlehem. He was the man that was a man of many sorrows. He was the man who was attested to miraculous signs. and He was that man. And we did. We did just what the Old Testament said. We just did what Isaiah 53 said. We killed him. And before we killed him, we humiliated him. And before we, and as we humiliated him, we spit on him and we whipped him and we abused him in the, in the presence of his own mother. The one who'd done no wrong. And even a dying criminal on the cross could see it. A Roman centurion could see it, but God's own people couldn't. And the message was repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I just would say to you about being a disciple. This is significant. Way more than anything that's going on in your life. And I don't mean to demean anything that's going on in your life. We all have struggles. We do. We have great moments of joy. But if we're going to be disciples, and you know many of you have had great heartache. This is the answer to the heartache. This is God's answer to the struggle. This is God's answer to the death. This is God's answer to disease. This is God's answer to divorce. 
This is God's answer to all of my ungodliness and my wicked and immoral sin and yours as well. But unless we repent. But didn't that Acts 2? He said, what must we do? And he said, repent. He didn't say, ask Jesus in your heart. You won't find it in Scripture. If you think that's what Romans 10 says, that's not what it says. It is not what it says. Yeah, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But he had already dealt with the entire, there's nine chapters before you get to that statement. And that wasn't a prayer. If it meant prayer, he'd have said prayer. The word is phileo. The one who fillets themselves, guts themselves, is literally the word as they cry out to the Lord. It's Luke 18, the two in the temple, and the sinner goes in the temple. You want to see what repentance looks like? It's not Mickey Mouse. It's not, well, I've seen, I'm a sinner, I need saving. I already said it. He who is, you want to really get into love? You really want to talk about love? The love that doesn't hold a record of wrongs, 1 Corinthians 13, the love that's not jealous, the love that isn't pride and uh, boastful, but the love that comes from a heart that's been broken, a spirit that has been pierced, a heart that's pierced in a broken spirit, and it cries out just like that, that sinner in the temple, dear Lord, God Almighty, have mercy on me. Being a disciple means that you have to understand we have a Savior that withdrew in great sorrow. Understanding the mission that was before him. I had a great mentor of mine ask a group of young men that were going to be preachers. He said, why do you want to preach? And everybody gave their answers. And you know what he said? He said, let me tell you about your job. He said, do you know who the two greatest preachers in the Bible were? Without debate, it would be Jesus and John the Baptist. It would be. We say Moses was pretty good. Yeah, he's good. But if you had to have, you know, you say Jesus, John the Baptist, because even Scripture and Jesus verifies that. I think you would say that. The Scripture says it. And the guy said, well, let me tell you what, what God's people did to the two best preachers that ever lived. They cut one of their heads off and they hung the other on a cross. <laughs> Y'all go preach. <laughs> And the treatment, the harsh treatment you're going to get won't be from the world. It'll be from God's people. Disciples. But now something has happened to the 21st century church. We got stuff. We got lots of stuff. And it's convenient for church to be convenient and casual. Something I do, but it's not all that I do. My sins have been forgiven, but I've never really weighed that because I got good stuff going on in my life. Paul would say, I am the chief of all sinners. I am the chief of all sinners. He would say, I have to die to sin. You and I should not walk around in guilt, but you and I should be firmly established with the mindset. We should have joy unspeakable. We should be encouraged we ought to, but it ought to be based upon the understanding of a repentant heart that understands just what Romans chapter 3 says, I'm guilty. I'm lost. All men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and I'm one of them. And as I think of my life in that setting, then I need to repent. I need to repent. Because Jesus says, lest you repent, you'll perish. 
If you really want to talk about a salvation sermon, it wrapped right there on the day of Pentecost. He didn't ask those people to ask Jesus in their heart. He didn't ask them. He said, you killed him. What do we do? Repent and be baptized. You know, we have baptism, and I love baptism, but we've whitewashed that deal. Well, we've made that more about us than him, and it's a wonderful little moment, and we like it. You know what he was asking them to do? Absolutely 100%. If you had asked a Jew 2,000 years ago at the Passover to be baptized, you were asking them to admit they were filthy, lost, and guilty, and stained, and blemished. He, he said, you need to humiliate yourself. And about 3,000 of them did. It wasn't a nice little put-in-a-bow deal. The Jews understood baptism. Listen, they understood it. They understood it from what the Old Testament said. They even stood because they'd seen John's baptism. And the people were coming to him. It was a baptism of repentance. And he told them, as they were coming, you can read about it in Matthew 4, they were coming to be baptized by John. And he said to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, keep, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. I'm going to finish here. I can't do this justice. I just can't. But if we're going to understand discipleship, the most telling story of discipleship in the Bible was at a point in history where the Son of God retreated because of great sadness. He became a light. His message was repent. And then he chose... <laughs> the most unlikeliest of people to follow him. Fishermen, tax gatherers. We read in Luke 19, common people. It's a fulfillment of 1 Corinthians. God chooses the foolish to overcome the wise, the weak to overcome the strength, the despised, the debased, the things that are not. I'm going to have to pick up there next week. I can't. I just couldn't do this all the justice that needed to be done. But church, listen. Please. Look at these passages. Passages just like this. See the significance of that moment. Understand it in light of what that it was written. From years gone by to the very present and into the future. And then as he calls us to himself, he gives us a mission. We'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be called your children. And Father, I am grateful that I have you as a Savior. I'm so grateful that your son, who could, who we could have just spoke a word and destroyed us all. But he didn't, Father. He retreated. He withdrew. He preached. And he gathered on himself individuals who 
were common and common and broken sinners. And he built us. And he built them. And Father, I know you're building us today. And I hope that we give you the praise and honor that is due you. I just hope we do. And if we're not, Father, shape that in us. And Father, it is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.